Hi everyone and welcome to Autism and Neurodiversity Coaching's Neurodiverse Universe podcast. Myself, Ben Holmes from Autism and Neurodiversity Coaching. Um, today's guest is Andrew Ryder, um, who's head of ADHD services and also has ADHD himself. So welcome, Andrew. Hello, hello. So, um, as I always do, going to sort of a standard um, list of questions and then see where we go from there. Well, uh, so as I just mentioned, you you have ADHD. Um, so when were you actually uh, diagnosed with ADHD? Um, so I was actually diagnosed um, not too long ago. So I think it was uh, January twenty twenty two that I was diagnosed. I'd I'd thought about it for a long time. I, I, I've worked within the sort of neurodiversity field for for quite a while. Um, and probably about a year before that, I sort of seriously started to think, maybe maybe I've got ADHD. Um, in typical ADHD fashion, I talked about it a lot. And my wife would say to me, well, have you been to the GP? No, I will, I will. And then work. It, it, I just forgot. Um, and... I sort of then just thought I need to get some type of some type of answer. So I went down the private route. I'm, I'm aware that there are lots of challenges uh, in terms of waiting times for a lot of adults around the UK. So I went down a private route and then uh, had my assessment in January, yeah, 2022, and then sort of started medication about a month after that, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's all fairly new in terms of, having that confirmation sort of side of it yeah yeah and what what did it did it mean anything to you getting the diagnosis in particular um I think well I, I remember the distinct sort of time um I, I feel like I had really bad insight um <laughs> and, and it feels really rubbish saying that but um you know I see I do a lot of ADHD assessments and autism assessments professionally. So um, I think it was definitely strange to be on the other side of the, the assessment um, and, and trying to not, trying to separate, I guess, what I know clinically about ADHD and then sort of reflecting on actually what my experience was. Um, I do remember the exact time that I thought, oh my goodness, I might have ADHD. I was at a an autism conference and with a few of my colleagues and there was a an adult psychiatrist talking about uh joint comorbid autism and adhd and as part of his sort of presentation he said you know i've got adhd i think he was diagnosed in his 40s with adhd and you know i think one of his sons was autistic and the other um was autistic and had adhd as well and one of the, the audience members sort of asked a question about, you know, how did you get diagnosed at 40, you know, and, and sort of why? And I remember him reeling off his explanation of, of what he was like. And I just sat there and, you know, you sort of see in films when everything goes slow and, um, and I just thought, my gosh, that's me. And one of my colleagues who I worked with for a very long time turned to me and said, oh, that's like you in the office, that's, that's you. And, and that was the first time and I started to sort of look at it and I sort of had a different viewpoint. Then. I'd be doing, say, autism assessments with adults 
and I'd be asking questions and I found myself, maybe, you know, oh, I do this, I'm impulsive with money, you know, and I find, and I'd be thinking, oh, that's like me. And so I think all of that sort of led me up to the point of when I had the assessment, I was fairly certain that I had ADHD. Um, I'm lucky in that I work with psychiatrists and, and people. And I said, please be honest, I won't be offended. Even if I'm your boss, tell me what, what I'm like. Um, that was quite hard to hear initially, but I think the actual diagnosis, I, I definitely made my life better, absolutely better. And I think professionally and personally, um, I personally, I just fell into that cycle of negativity. Um, and, you know, I'd have lots of arguments with my wife about, you know, how can I do my job, which is quite an intense job. I manage a lot of clinicians all over the UK and we we see a lot of NHS patients to reduce waiting lists for ADHD and autism. Um, and, and she would always say to me, I don't understand how you can do your job so well and be so rubbish at home, you know, and so just the opposite at home. And I, I never had an answer for it. And I would say, I've forgotten, or you didn't tell me that. And and I definitely was in that, you know, I just feel stupid or I'd spend too much money again, you know, and it was like, I don't know why I'm doing it again. And I genuinely had so such little insight. I just didn't know why, even though I worked day in, day out. And whereas now I understand that, um, I sort of understand how uh, my wife calls it prickly. So I know, for example, I'm not the best to have a serious conversation in the evening because I'm I'm so overwhelmed or I'm just knackered by the end of the day that yeah. I can get prickly, as my wife says. So uh, it's probably best to leave conversa important conversations to another time. But I yeah. think definitely in terms of how it's helped my life personally, my children understand it um, and, and we've talked about it they and it's not an excuse and I think a lot of people maybe perceive ADHD as an excuse to just oh, be, yeah. be whatever and um, and I'm definitely still called out on you know if I may be a little bit sharp and I'm in a mood and I don't always know why I'm in a mood um, but I think personally it's made our relationship in terms of me and my wife much much nicer day to day she's done a lot of reading and she's not in a neuro uh, sort of diversity world she's a, a a gymnastics coach so her world is very different to mine so she's done a lot of sort of reading to understand it um and I think professionally as well I think you know I don't I don't sort of broadcast it, I guess. It's not, hi, I'm Andrew. <laughs> I'm going to be doing the assessment here and I've got ADHD. But I'm yeah. quite open with telling people when I'm discussing feedback or their results or the outcome of their assessment. Um, yeah. I do find it, it sort of puts me on people's level, I guess, and sort of minimises that, that, about that sort of gap between professional and patient. Uh, which I really, really hate. I don't think it it serves any helpful purpose. So um, I feel like I've got an insight into that and I can sort of empathise in a way that maybe non, 
uh, you know, non-neurodivergent people can. Um, I think I think for me, it, the medication is amazing. Um, I know it's not not for everybody, but for me, I think that has absolutely been life changing. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll come on to medication a bit actually. Well, um, that's something I'd like to talk about. Um, so, would you say like it's it's changed your life? Has it changed your life in terms of you know how you view things, beliefs, etc.? Is it or is it just like you say, just opened you know understanding of yourself? So therefore you've got better relationships with those around you because of it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's probably I don't know if it's changed my sort of beliefs in the world or morals or anything like that. I think um it might have done if I maybe didn't work in in this field already. I w- I was already quite um neuro sort of affirmative and you know and I don't like a sort of disorder model or medical model as much, you know. So I think I was already in that space before. Um, but being diagnosed definitely made me appreciate that, you know. And when people make comments about, um, you know, all ADHD people are lazy, you know, or uh, it, it's just a label. You know, when you hear those comments, I do sort of take that personally a little bit more and that rejection sensitive dysphoria does kick in a little bit more um and I feel I have to challenge that um but yeah I think it's mainly me understanding I think I had a lot more questions when I got my diagnosis yeah I think just somebody saying out loud to me I then what I found myself is going oh my gosh that's why that's why I did that that's why I really struggled with that when I was a kid because I wasn't your stereotypical ADHD boy either. Um, I was yep. the complete opposite of what a lot of people think of as stereotypes. So yep. I think that was a challenge in terms of people going, you haven't got ADHD or it's just a man thing. That's the one I heard a lot. It's just a man thing. Just a man thing? Yeah, yeah. So when I'd sort of explain to people, you know, some, I find it really difficult to explain ADHD. When I'm in work, it's fine. I've got a script and I, I it's weird. Um, but when I'm sort of talking about my ADHD, you know, I would sort of say, uh, it, for example, if I'm sort of doing something on the computer, a notification pings on, I will sort of go, I need to deal with that really quickly and then I'll forget. And I worked in the NHS for a very long time. And, you know, it, it, it's no secret that there's, there's not enough staffing and not enough money in the NHS. So you had very, very big caseloads and I was responsible for hundreds and hundreds of of children and young people. And I would always come home and I'd I'd spend all evening working. And my wife would say to me, why are you working? You've been in work all day. And I'd go, oh, it's because we've got so many work, you know, I've got to do this, this and this by tomorrow. and I genuinely thought everyone did that, but the reality actually, when I was diagnosed and started to reflect on it, people loved having me in the office because I was entertaining, I was funny, I would chat about anything. I could hear, you know, our secretaries over on the other side of the room saying, oh, I watched Line of Duty last night. And I'd be like, oh. so in reality, I didn't get a lot of work done in, in a work, in an office environment. Um, so I was always sort of compensating for it, but I've always hid it really well. Um, 
and I think all the way through school I did that. I was definitely when when we talk in autism about masking. Um, I was definitely an expert masker. So people would come to me and they'd go, oh my God, I, do you mind doing that? No, no, no. I'd, so I did lots of things outside my job because I found them interesting. I like learning, but then I'd, I'd get overwhelmed and I didn't like people to see that I was overwhelmed. So it sort of meant that my stress levels were up here. So when I left the NHS in about 2020, I think, um, or 2021, it was amazing. So I work from home. I'm mainly remote working. So I'm at home. I can manage distractions. Um, I don't have a caseload that accrues. So it sort of was the perfect timing, really. Yeah. No, yeah exactly. It's more about me and, and sort of how I see and understand myself. Yeah. Yeah. Totally get that. Um, so in terms of when you got your diagnosis, um, how did sort of friends and family react you I know you've already said one of your your colleagues had said that was you at that conference and then you spoke about your wife a little bit is there any sort of other reactions from people in general whether it's positive or negative um I think I I think the big thing for me was they were all generally quite positive at least to my face um that I that I know about but they were all all generally quite positive I think people struggle to understand it I think because a lot of people still think of ADHD as naughty boy syndrome uh you know and and because I wasn't that um you had a lot of people who have got a, a Google degree say you know or they they've done a bit of reading they'd go no you haven't got ADHD and so I found myself having to defend and explain a lot why I did um, but people, when I did that, then went, oh, my God, that's absolutely you. And that makes sense. Um, I think older generations are sort of like my my in-laws, my parents, um, are completely removed from that idea of ADHD and, and autism. And, and they're all sort of quite new concepts to them. Um, they all know. I don't think I've really had much in terms of a conversation other than how I, I sort of think my mum possibly <laughs> um again from reflecting back is very, very similar to me and sort of having yeah. a chat with her about that why that could possibly mean she does things as well. So uh, but I think it's mainly about it's mainly been positive. I'm really lucky in that my sort of best friend in work, who's my sort of counterpart over another service, uh, she was diagnosed with ADHD six months before me. And, and like the dream team in a way that we work very well. On, and although we've both got ADHD, she's absolutely rubbish at certain things and I'm rubbish at the other things, but we complement each other quite well. Um, so I was sort of, because I work in an environment that, that people know a lot about neurodiversity in general, it wasn't really a big thing. I haven't really had any negative reactions to my face at least no that's good that's good um i totally understand you saying that you have to defend yourself etc so yeah, yeah um not believing you that sort of stuff because they've got these wrong com uh misconceptions etc so yeah totally get that um so do you have any other however you word it whether it's conditions disorders disabilities you know neurodivergences do you have anything else um, 
Not, I, I'm not diagnosed. Um, again, this is where the professional part of the, um, I know from research and evidence that ADHD on its own is pure ADHD is, is really rare in terms of, you know, people are more likely to have a comorbid condition. So I know that I've done enough courses where I've sat there thinking, am I, am I autistic? Am I, uh, and I'm not, I'm not autistic, but, um, I, I think anybody that knows me knows I am absolutely awful at maths. So I did really well in school. I can speak uh, a couple of languages fluently, um, but I cannot do any numbers in my head, embarrassingly so. My son is in year four at the minute and his maths is far better than mine. I can't do very simple maths. Um, so I think probably dyscalculia, um, because... But I get around it with calculators and, and other things. So, and I'm in a position in my job where I've got operations managers that sit sort of under me. So, in terms of working with ADHD, I find somebody that can do that, you know, and, and can sort of do that better than I can. Um, but no, I've not been diagnosed, but I, I'd probably say that's quite likely. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, in terms of support, I suppose it's bit different given your position everything but what obviously when people get diagnosed some people get loads of support some people get none so what's it been like for you have you even have you seeked any support or you know how has that sort of process been since diagnosis um i mean there's support in terms of i guess medication and sort of looked at strategies i do look at a lot of strategies that i put in place for myself so um it doesn't always work and I'm, I'm it's an absolute stereotype but I am a notebook collector so I have new diaries new notebooks and I'll use them for a couple of days and then I'll have to buy another one or apps and like calendar apps and to-do lists so I've still not cracked it. I don't think I ever will but it's, it's definitely got a lot better I think in terms of more formal support no, not really, but again, I think that's probably more to do with finding a job that works for me. Yeah. Um, and I think if I was still working in, in the environment that I was, it, for example, in the NHS, um, mm. I think it would be a very different situation. But I think because that job came around at the right time and it means I can work flexibly. So I'm not very good with Mondays. I find that sort of going from the weekend to straight into work really, really difficult. Um, so what I do now is I just don't block in, I don't book in any sort of meetings or, or appointments. I'll I'll do admin and sort of bits I need to, to sort of ease into the week. Um, yeah. But I know my brain works better in the evening. So when my son's at football and, trains a lot with he plays for a, quite a big football team so he trains quite a lot and um, I'll sit in the car and get work done or once he's gone to bed because that works for me I think that's taken a little bit of getting used to from my wife um yeah. because I think she sees that as I'm working you know I should finish at five o'clock uh, and I'm going yeah but I might get distracted for an hour in the day and it sort of takes that pressure off and I'm still probably working double what I should be um, but I find that really difficult to stop working because I enjoy working. So when I'm getting dopamine, I really enjoy my job. So I don't see it as work. Um, yeah. I probably struggle to switch off and do other things. Um, 
In terms of support, I think my managing director and sort of various counterparts in our company, I think, again, all come from a, uh, they're not all neurodivergent, but uh, they're aware of that. And I think, you know, um, they accommodate things. I, I find it quite difficult to have my camera on if lots of people are in a meeting and it's a boring meeting. <laughs> um, but it, I, I find it really hard to pay attention. So I much prefer I'll switch my camera off and then I can be doing emails or something in the back and I can still listen to it. Um, so I think we've just got, and that's been accepted quite well. Um, I did apply for um, access to work um, a while ago. And funnily enough, yesterday I had a phone call from them to say that, that they're starting it. And that's just about looking at what, you know, is there anything else? Obviously, I've got a job where I have to sit down. A lot of it is admin. A lot of it is writing policies and uh, supervision and managing a lot of people. So a lot of it is working at home and sat down on a computer. So um, looking at other different ways to do that, whether it's a, a, you know, a rising desk potentially or somewhere I can stand and move. So, um, yeah, definitely encourage people if they haven't done that to, to do it because it's it's brilliant yeah i think that's interesting with the desk because i've thought about that myself um i think that could be a really good thing um because you don't want to be sat down all day dear so um yeah i can remember someone i used to work with um they had one of those desks but that was because they had a bad back not because of anything else uh, as far as i'm aware um and it was like i, was like, I wanted one of them but it's like I didn't say this. I was thinking I wanted one, but I knew there'd be no chance I'd be able to get one because like we've not got bad back. But yeah. obviously, you know. Um, I think I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think it's it's being able to explain to people sort of what what it is you struggle with. So I uh, I've got a pen in my hand. I uh, need something in my hand, or my my leg is bouncing up and down uh, under the desk. Um, yeah. I have a. The swivel chair that I'll sort of use. I've got a lap, uh, a MacBook, so I'll sometimes go and, you know, I'll work on the bed sometimes and just sit in there and I'll have something on in the background. So it's just being able to mix it up and and move as much as I can. But there are times where I don't want to move as well. Um, and I'm sort of like, oh, I haven't got the energy to start. So it's tricky to work out what, what will help, really. Yeah, I totally understand that. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of what well, ADHD or autism really, um question I always like to ask is, do you see it as a disability? So I get different answers with that one. Um, <clears throat> yes and no. I think it 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 depends on the person. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky question to answer. I personally don't see myself as as disabled or having a disability as such um i know that there are things my brain can't do like other people but i know there are things that my brain does way better than a lot of other people as well um and but i don't tend to think of it as like separating the adhd because everything i do is adhd um but but you know i see a lot of people who are in very different situations and are really really struggling with with jobs you know, and not having enough money or 
um, you know, addictions. And so I think ADHD, I think when we talk about disability, I think it's it's a good gatekeeper. Is that the word? It, it's a good sort of um, access to services, I guess, for people who need those services. Um, I know a lot of uh, the autistic community and ADHD community really don't like the the disorder of the diagnosis or autism spectrum disorder. And, and I I feel really uncomfortable when I have to write that in reports and tend to, what we've done in work is we we sort of put the bits we've got to put in to be, make it, you know, evidence that a diagnosis is valid. But what we do is we include a sort of neuroaffirmative DSM-5. So instead of going, you've got difficulties in da 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 da, da and you just feel really bad and rubbish at everything, we sort of go, it's not that you've got difficulties, is you just do that in a different way um, to what other people might do. So, yeah, it's a tricky question. I feel like I'm waffling. Um, no, no, no. But I think, I think it's yes or no. I think it, people should be able to see it as a disability if they want. But me personally, I, I don't see it for me. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. Um, most people I interview on this podcast do say pretty much the same in in, a, in different ways, but mm. that conclusion usually, usually not not all. Um, but again, it's I think it's personal preference as well. Um, like I, said, I think it's one of those things. If the environment was catered to you, then you probably wouldn't see it as disability. But then, because it's not, then it makes it that grey area where. You're not disabled. You're not. You've not got a disability, but you're disabled in the sense of. Yeah, and I think that's it. It's you know, uh, the the same with all neurodivergent people. I think it, it's their environment that's a big thing. You know, you can get somebody who's autistic if they're in a job that it is tailored and to all of their sort of strengths and things they do really well. And um, you're not going to see it if you use the official sort of diagnosis uh, sort of uh, wording, really, in terms of impairment, um, yeah. you're not going to see an impairment in functioning as much. But actually what we then do is say, if we took this person and we put them in a, in a completely different environment and they weren't doing this job and they lived in this place and would they look the same? And, and often the answer is no. And I think as adults particularly adults who are diagnosed as adults, by the time they're diagnosed, they've had a lot of life experience. So either sort of not, not understand it. I certainly didn't understand it, but I knew I wasn't very good at things and I couldn't explain it. But I knew there were things I was really good at and I hated doing the things I wasn't good at. Um, but I, you know, I, I worked as a... Um, so when I went to college and did all of that, I'm originally from South Wales. And so I went to college and um, like everybody else in Wales, we all can sing and we're quite musical. So I I worked, uh, I was a professional singer, uh, almost like a whole different lifetime ago. And that was my job. And it was, it was amazing because I traveled all around. I lived in hotel, you know, I would do a show maybe rehearse for a couple of hours some days but it was a very physical job I didn't have to organize I was told you know where the bus would be and what city we were going to I didn't have responsibilities and you know 
I think I then decided I want a proper job. And that's not to disrespect any performers, but I was get, getting on a bit. And I thought, right, I want something a bit more stable. And I went back to uni and trained in speech language therapy. That's my clinical background. And yeah. um, and my children came along and straight away I sort of went, oh, my gosh, I've got an academic study, um, which, w- which was all right, I think, because I was in a pre-COVID time where I was in uni, I had um, lectures and date deadlines and things. But that being said, I always did my work the night before. I wrote my dissertation the night before. Um, and I'm lucky because I can remember things. So that works for me. But I know another adhd they might not be able to do that. So I, yeah. I think I've always managed to get by. And I think for me, that's a really good example of when I was younger and I was in a job that was tailored to ADHD, you know, and you see a lot of performers, a lot of athletes that have ADHD, but there's not a lot of organisation that, you know, they've got that drive and determination and hyper-focus. And they're in an environment where their sort of strengths are relied on more. The minute I then left and went to work in the NHS, um, it was like uh, my world flipped upside down because I had to organise my own diary, my own caseload, keep on top of admin myself, you know, and and that's when I sort of went, oh my gosh. I, but, I, but like I said, I managed to keep up with it for years and years and years. I went more into the management side of it. I preferred the management because my brain, like a lot of other ADHD people, is very good at problem solving. So I'm thinking all the time. And if there's issues, I'm sort of very innovative in how I think of ways to improve things. Um, But might not, if I was on my own, would I realistically put those things in place? Probably not a lot of the time. So it's nice that I can, I've got people now who will sort of help put those things in place because I know I probably wouldn't do it on my own. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I can resonate with a lot of that. It's... um... Obviously, not all of us, but a lot of us are better placed to actually not be the vision. Well, yeah, to be the visionaries in one sense, or to be the overseers of things, and you can put people and things in various places. And people, as long as people are happy doing that, it, it sort of all works, fits in together, doesn't it? And yeah, absolutely. And it's just what people are built for. Some people are not built for that. They're built for doing a set job, a set list of things. And they're good at doing it and they enjoy doing it. So they're good at doing that. Others need yeah. vari- variation and, and whatever. So, yeah. Um, There's quite a lot there that I'll come back to some of that in, in a bit. Um, So in terms of questions, I'll like to throw a few random ones in there as well. Um, So what is your favourite colour, if you have one? Uh, Probably, oh, blue. I think blue is my go-to, blue or navy. Yeah. Is there any sort of reason with that, or is it just, it just is, sort of thing? <laughs> Does uh, it be like a deep no, meaning? I, no, I, I can't, no, I think it's probably, I would just, I mean, I'm not somebody that just wears blue all day, you know, and I have to have blue things, but I think if I was probably to go with something, I think navy is probably, uh, probably goes with all things. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Um, do you have any special interests at all? Uh, gosh, this is quite bad. Um, yes, I do. 
Um, and hence, <laughs> no, no, it's fine, it's fine. Um, again, this is when I was talking before about you know comorbidities, and and I was thinking, I've definitely got intense interests. And even when I was sort of thinking, am I autistic or am I not? You know, and and I think that's one one of the things that a lot of people don't know about ADHD is. Quite often people will talk to me and I'll say, oh, so that's definitely a hyper-focus. So that's something that you get really stuck on um, and get bored after a while and come back. But I think for me, you know, thinking back to school, it's really random things and I and I could not tell you why. Um, yeah. So I was just, I was in school when Titanic came out mm-hmm. um, and I was obsessed with it. Uh, so I went to see it about 10 times in the cinema. I had newspaper like a posters on my wall in my bedroom and um, I'm not that into Titanic anymore I've got to say but um, m- more sort of like history things I guess and it's just random things like uh, for some reason the Russian Revolution and the Romanovs I never did it in school but there's just something that intrigued me about it and um, and sort of like true crime and sort of documentaries and it probably ties into my job in terms of the psychology element of it now um but no I do like my wife occasionally gets worried every now and again because I can just put on a lovely good murder documentary and fall fall asleep and she finds that a bit odd because she has the response of oh my god this is horrible and this is um you know like we were watching Dharma and even that was a bit uh, made me feel uncomfortable but I, I can watch that to go to bed and it doesn't bother me. Um, but yeah, definitely there's random little pockets of things. Um, Marilyn Monroe, for some reason, I I did a project for GCSE History on Marilyn Monroe and then I needed to know everything. So I watched every documentary and that's carried on. Yeah. But very random. There's no connection whatsoever. Yeah. No, I get that. Um I mean, I, I like random stuff. I, I love ancient history. Um, but then there's certain parts of history that I've got no interest in. So there's, yeah, stuff like that. Um, so if you could meet any celebrity or famous figure, past or present, is there anyone or a few Ooh. people that would be on that list? Which is a really odd question because there's obviously so many. Oh, do you know what? I'm gonna, oh God, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna say, in the past, probably Marilyn Monroe because I'd, I'd quite like to have known what, what was going on and what was true and what was not true and what happened and if she was murdered and uh, I, I think I'd just like to to know that. Um, I think I think probably present it again it could probably be Adele. Right. Yeah. And just because I think, yeah, she's a good singer and I like her music and I'd love to go and see her in concert, but I think she'd be a pretty good laugh at a dinner. But I think she'd, she'd be quite entertaining. She's quite loud. She's quite, I think she'd be quite engaging. There's nothing worse than, I think as an ADHD, you can get bored very quickly and I find it really hard to cover when I'm bored. Yeah. Um, and what I start to do is just think, oh, let's just talk about something I want to talk about because it's far more interesting. Um, so yeah. I think with Adele, I think with Adele, I probably wouldn't have. I'd probably be hanging on every word and every story. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Um, so just a bit more about yourself then. Um, 
So just where where you're based at the moment? Because you said you're from Wales. Where where are you actually based now? So I live now in Manchester. Um, oh. So I've how long have I lived? Probably about 15, 16 years. I've lived in Manchester now. Um, yeah, no, I love it. I, again, I think it's the whether it's like ADHD thing. My wife is is born and bred in Manchester, and I think she would move to South Wales sort of straight away. She loves the beach and the, the countryside. I love the busyness of a city. I love the, I live South Manchester, so I'm sort of a couple, about five minute drive outside of the city centre and yeah. just like that there's a lot more to do for, for somebody who's got a busy mind and I can wake up one day and go, right, let's go skiing, you know, or let's go to an ice rink or let's go and do this. Um, yeah, I think, I think it fits me better really being in a city. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, so in terms of, you mentioned about your upbringing earlier, uh, as in that you weren't a typical ADHD boy. Um, so yeah, how would you explain that experience, um, if that makes sense? Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, and, and not everyone has this stereotype, but I think, you know, I probably have this stereotype in, in for a lot of when I was younger and in terms of being a young adult, I think ADHD was a, was confused, I think, with more of a conduct disorder and challenging behaviour and, um, and, and you do see a lot of that, of course, but I think I was always, did very well in school, um, I was always sort of in the top sets. I was quite, I liked attention for doing well, if that makes sense. So that's how I would, um, I wanted to do well and I wanted to be the best. Um, and even sort of outside of school, um, I was a gymnast um, because that's what I excelled in. I was a bit of a daredevil. I'd probably, probably not a very good gymnast now because I'd just throw myself and have a go at things. Um, but I didn't have that fear, so I'd give things a go. Um, if there were things that I wasn't very good at, so I did ninja uh, jujitsu for one session because uh, I just wasn't good at it, I, and I, I will refuse to do it rather than I'd rather not do something than be bad at it. Um, so I I sort of went through school. I was never naughty. I don't remember having ever having a detention for things. Um, but I think because I was well-behaved, I could manipulate a lot. And manipulate sounds really bad, but I could, I was constantly yeah. betting homework or I would do my homework traveling to school or I would do it at break time or lunchtime. But I was lucky in that the fact I could do that really quickly. Um, but I could get round a lot of teachers by going, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, I could bat my eyelashes and go, I'm really sorry I've left it because I was doing gym till late last night. I was quite good at lying to cover up, um, which I think a lot of people probably aren't honest in going, I was a really good liar when I needed to cover up for what I'd actually done, but I'm a really rubbish liar if I'm trying to lie, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so nobody ever, there were, there were no worries. You know, I did really well in my GCSEs. I went to college and I sort of did all of that and there were never any... Um, I think I was probably the, the teenager that experimented more. Um, I would be the one to go, yeah, let's do this. You know, I probably didn't have the best willpower. 
Um, so I probably got up to a bit more than my sister did. Because um, I just was wanted to be, be fun, you know. But I, I look back, I went to uni. I, I was singing and then sort of said, I don't want to go to uni. Then I changed my mind and I came home on the Friday and I said, Mum, I'm going to uni on Monday and I'm leaving. Um, and my mum went, oh, right, okay. Um, did uni for a bit got bored because it, it didn't push me enough I don't think that particular course I was doing and so I left and I thought I know I'll go and audition I'm gonna go and live abroad I'm gonna I'll find a job and I went randomly to Wolverhampton and auditioned and yeah. got the job and literally came home and said ma'am I'm going to live I think I was moving initially to Spain but it I'd be going to different countries um and I said, right, I'm going um, on my flights tomorrow from Cardiff. Can you take me? And my poor, now I look back and I think my poor mum must be like, no, I was a baby, her first, her first child. Um, but I just was constantly very impulsive. I went to uni again then because I wanted to do teaching and then sort of went, oh, actually, I didn't want to do teaching. So there was a lot of impulsiveness that I sort of would get fixed on an idea of I want to do this. And yeah. it... I couldn't sustain it. I'd get bored. Um, so I think but academically and sort of from a behaviour point, I don't think anybody saw anything. They'd see me turn up. I'm never late for things. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I get really anxious about being late. So if I know I'm going to be late for things, I get really moody. Um, yeah. But I think I bring that on myself. Like I said, my, my son... Um, trains uh, for a football team and um, he'll say have to be at training at quarter past five and I'll get him home from school and uh, he'll have something to eat and then I'll say right you need to be dressed we need to leave so I'll always set my time to leave so I'm always 15 minutes early anyway um, and then I'll get lost I'll be like this on my phone on YouTube or I'll be like I'm just doing some work I'm just finishing off some work and then before I know it we have to leave and then I'll ask, I'll say, you know, are you dressed? And he's nine, so he's not dressed. He's been dawdling as well. And then I'll be like, right, come on, we're going to be late. And then I get really stressed. Um, but nobody, nobody sort of outside of my family would see that really. Um, so I know with autism, there's a, you know, we use it a lot. And I don't know whether it's correct or not, but we talk about a female presentation in autism. Yeah. And which we sort of associate more of, um, I guess, higher masking skills or that ability to sort of compensate and, you know, it, but being overwhelmed and that being tiring. And I and I think you see lots of ADHD people that do that. And I think it's not as easy as saying female, male. I see lots of male autistic, autistic men who are fantastic maskers and sort of fit that female type of autism that we we think of um yeah. but i think in the adhd world i think i probably I, I can identify more if i was to look at female adhd strategies or symptoms that to me is more me rather than you know being yeah. late being you know so i guess that's what i meant yeah no i totally understand that I'm I think myself, I resonate a lot with the female side of it, stereotypical female side of it. Although I am late a lot, um, I'm usually if it's a in-person meeting, I'm usually five minutes late. That's yeah. like a standard thing now that I've kind of 
as much as I don't want to, I've kind of just accepted it. And people around me do accept it. Unless it's something that's really, really important, like you get on a flight or something, then I'm, it's a completely different mindset because I prepare myself well before that. Yeah. Oh, so um, I'm always 10 minutes before it's due to start. But really interestingly, with medication, that's definitely helped. I'm probably later than when I'm not on medication because I'm not as anxious about it. You know, I'll be thinking, oh, it's only five minutes. Only five minutes later, I'll just log on now. I'm not worried. I'm not anxious about it because I think oh my God, it's, five, it's five minutes. Um, whereas before I'd be like, right, we need to log on now. And I oh, hated it. hated it. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, so you mentioned earlier, um, there's two things I'll trying to pick which one to go with first. We'll, we'll talk about the medication side of it just because you've literally just brought it up. Um, so, yeah, because that, that's an obviously interesting topic. Um, well, for anything, obviously ADHD, anxiety, but we're talking about ADHD side of it. Um, like I I don't have any medication and I don't intend to. And it took time to actually accept that people do have it and want to have it. Yeah, because I was sort of very much along the lines of, and I still am to a degree, but if it's it's, it's personal preference, it's like the disability thing for me, it's personal preference. So, because like if someone tells me, well, if if you're struggling with, it, then just have medication. Like I take, I, I don't, I get a bit angry with that um, because people try to tell me what to do, but I now fully accept people that want to have medication. The amount of people I spoke to who have ADHD that say they rely on it. Well, that's maybe not the right thing to say, but like, yeah, they say it, it makes a big, yeah, yeah. I think so my, yeah, my, they, I mean, definitely helped me, and and I think I'm still nervous. Um, that I think the strongest medication I taken was like an antihistamine. You know, I, I'd never ever taken antidepressants or anti-anxiety, or you know, other than I had eczema as a child, so I'd have the odd steroid, but. It, nothing and to me this was a controlled drug you know I was like this little thing and I was like oh god and I remember the first day and I was like I'm to psych myself up to take it because I genuinely thought it would make me into a zombie I think I thought I'd just be really flat and not myself in my personality and 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 it, it didn't change anything really um I, I was waiting for this sort of like you know sort of hit and um, I didn't really feel that but all I felt was everything went quiet and it meant I could suddenly focus on things and my wife came home the first day and I'd as well as worked I'd put the washing on I'd put all the drying away I'd hoover I'd, I'd cooked food she was like my god this is amazing but I I think it's not uh you know with adults and children it's slightly different so with with adults it's very much a first line medication you know you can go in straight away to be treated with medication children's slightly different but it's not just the medication it's not a magic pill that you pop and it suddenly makes everything okay and there are still days where I'm grouchy or you know I just for some reason even with the meds I just don't get as much done or anything done um so I think having the strategies in place as well um I'm I'm lucky in a work role. So my my 
experience with being diagnosed was I had the face-to-face assessment online um, that a few of my family members had sent questionnaires in. Halfway through my assessment, um, the lady that was doing the assessment said to me, well, you're absolutely ADHD. Yeah. I went, oh, 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 oh. Because that's always different to how I've worked. We've sort of gathered the information, gone away and thought about it and, uh, you know, and we're given, given whatever the outcome is. And I went, oh, right, and you want, well, I can tell you now already, you know, it's very clear. So I sort of, that took me aback. And, and right at the end of that phone call, it was, right, so let's have a chat about medication then. So I'm going to start you on da, 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 this milligrams. And I remember sort of going... Oh, okay. Um, and obviously with it private, there's the cost implication of it. And I, I came downstairs and more, how did it go? And I was like, uh, yeah, fine. Um, my medication's arriving tomorrow. Um, and and I remember that always stuck with me. And I, and I just thought, I don't know if I was, if I'd been somebody else, I knew a lot about medication anyway. Um, I don't know if I had the time to process it. Um, so I'm lucky in my job now that I've got the ability to change that um, in our services. And like I said, we we see a lot of NHS commission patients because the waiting lists are four or five years. So yeah. uh, they have an agreement with the Owl Centre who I work for and, and they uh, I oversee that service. So what we've done is we deliberately then, I was really anal about having a waiting list in between the assessment and starting medication. And some of the NHS services were a little bit reluctant. They were going, well, no, if somebody's been diagnosed, you can get them on medication and then out the door almost. Um, But for me, especially when you're looking at somebody who's impulsive, um, a lot of the time, you know, if you said, so I'm going to jump this, a lot of people will say yes. Um, and I'm not confident that a lot of those people might feel forced into medication that they might not want. So that's the one thing I think having ADHD and having that insight, I've sort of gone, that doesn't feel, I don't feel right with that. So we now have an assessment we, we send a report there's lots and lots of information about medication and pros and cons and um and we ask them if they want to carry on but there's usually about a month so that they can look at the resources they can look at the strategies they can they need to put those things in place as well as just taking a, a medication you know whether that's concerter or elvance or whatever um so i think yeah, but I, I agree. I think it's personal preference. You have people that, for whatever reason, can't have medication. You know, if they've got other health um, issues or conditions that mean they can't take medication. Um, but I think a lot of people, I, you know, I know there's a lot of people that medication just works wonders. And it, it definitely has for me. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good insight, I think, because... Like I said, there are a lot of people like me who are kind of against it personally like for us own, but then it it's good to hear someone that's sort of similar that has had medication and sees it's a positive thing. Because like like you said, your concerns about having it are similar to one of the, very similar to myself, that if you have it then you'll like I don't want to lose the creativity 
if yeah. you see that, and lose all that. And I feel like it's one of those, like with me, I don't know if you were the same, where you've got all these thoughts going up in your head and you've got good ones and bad ones. So if you get rid of the bad ones, not get rid, you're not going to get rid of it all together, but if you get whatever, quiet the quieting the bad ones, then you're going to quiet the, the good ones. And yeah. it's like... Yeah. yeah, for me, for me, I still get all of those. So I still get all the really good ideas. And in my head, I'm like, that will work and then we'll do this and then this will help with this thing. And um, But I think, whereas before, I'd probably struggle to really focus on one thing to get it done from sort of A to, you know, A to Z at the end. Um, I think the quieting for the quiet a bit for me, I'm still as creative, I'm still as innovative, I'm coming up with things and ways of making things quicker and more efficient. But I think now I can focus on it so I can get things done, that I've got all these ideas floating around, but I just never ever carry on with them. I, I can now focus on them. I can sort of get rid of those bad ideas quicker so that I can focus on that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, completely, completely. Yeah, no, that's good. Good to hear that. Um, yeah, hopefully, someone will take value in that. It's like I say, it's such a whatever subject with medication, it can cause issues one way or the other. So it's, I think it's a very important thing to make whether you do have it or don't have it. Um, but yeah, I think it's good to get different opinions for people who who have had medication as well. Um. Yeah, I mean, at least it shows that people can have it, and it does actually work. Yeah, I, th I think it's about it's about informed consent, isn't it? It's about making sure people know the right thing, you know. And there are risks; they are strong drugs, you know. And um, I think one of the trends we we see a lot is a lot with adults, whether it's for an autism assessment or an ADHD assessment, they usually come as adults with a big long list of diagnoses. You know, they've got depression, anxiety, OCD, borderline personality disorder, they've, um, because they've been around the houses and been diagnosed and they're usually on a lot of medication. And I think the one thing I would say for a lot of people who are struggling from a mental health side of things, um, what we do see a lot of is starting the ADHD medication and actually have it, they're reducing their antidepressants or anti-anxieties because the root of a lot of those difficulties was potentially ADHD and it's managing it. So they've gone from being on lots of different types of medication to one medication, which has had a bit of a effect going out but there there are people who, who have medication we've got patients who, who have medication and don't like it you know and 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 stop um i think it's the titration process is really key you know i had a relatively straightforward one my dose increased it increased yeah. to the highest of the, the medication i'm on and i didn't like it um yeah. i my wife said to me you're just like, you're not there. She was sort of like this. It's like, you're not even listening. And I was going, I'm fine, I'm fine. And she was like, you're really irritable. Uh, I, We were in TGI Fridays waiting for some food before going to the cinema. And I'm the most placid person. I, I won't get confrontational. I don't really lose my temper or shout like that. Um, and I, I just got really annoyed. And I was like, this isn't me. And so I just came back down onto the doors that worked for me. For some people, they might 
do six weeks on a certain medication and then they might change onto a different one because another one might work better for them. So I think for anybody looking at medication, I think the titration is making sure because you don't know what you don't know at the same time. Um, so I, when I started medication, I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. I can concentrate. And I always remember them saying to me, but this is amazing, but you don't know how, how more amazing that can sort of be unless so I think it's just it, but it's everyone's chance and I, and I and that's why we've changed our service to sort of stop people feeling pressured to have medication or that medication is the only way mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense um so the other one of the things you mentioned earlier was RSD um because a, a lot of people still won't know what that is. Um, even people who have, have ADHD won't know what it is as well, of course. So is there anything you want to talk about that in particular? Because um, I've got it as well. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, how does that impact you? I mean, um, uh, so rejection sensitive dysphoria, it, it's a tricky one to, to sum up in a nice, easy sort of... Um, way really but i guess it's it's how somebody reacts and i think it's usually an extreme reaction um to um rejection but it's not always actual rejection it can be perceived rejection or so you know if I'm trying to think of an example so if i uh so i was in an online meeting the other day and I, I could feel myself doing lots of talking and I was very passionate and I was getting frustrated because I sort of felt like I had a solution that wasn't being listened to. Um, and somebody came in and was like, uh, excuse me, because I'm really bad for using the hand up in meetings. I, I should learn. That's the strategy I need to work on. Um, and that for me then is I can sort of almost get a little bit paranoid or I can think, oh my gosh, you know, they think I'm rubbish. And it, it's, I guess it's that sort of how you react to any perceived things. So it could be, you know, my wife has a go at me because I've not taken the bins out maybe. Um, but it's really hard to explain to somebody that doesn't have it because yeah. it feels really irrational. It feels really rational in the moment, but afterwards I'm usually like, oh, okay, that wasn't that bad. Um, yeah it doesn't last very long i would say i come out of it quite quickly and then i can sort of go i'm really sorry for being an idiot or you know um but it, it's sort of like your nervous system just goes it perceives anything and your stress level just goes through the roof really quickly but it can be somebody not replying to you somebody not texting you back straight away or emailing and you sort of think is that a bit of a, a watch my language like an RC email? You know, is that it's it's really difficult because it sort of touches on everything on every part of your life, really. Yeah. Or if someone replies to a text just saying okay, like yeah. <laughs> like I have that a lot. If it's put okay, I'm like, oh like what does that mean? Um it could just literally mean okay, it probably does most of the time, but yeah. But then I know in the past some people have said that when they are being off of me. So that doesn't help because you know it has happened in the past. So it's 
you have to sort of guess which what that means really. Yeah. Um, I so think yeah. It's like performance management, you know, where uh, we did a, a staff survey the other day and I thought I just want to see what people feel when they're working for us and um and even though I knew it wasn't about me personally, it was about the service, I was sort of starting to read it and I was like, you know, lots of them were very good and that was great. But it, it's almost like I'm really proud and they're amazing, but the negative one will have much more of an impact or effect on me. Just even if there's one negative thing and I've got 30 really good things, I will sort of, um, and it was anonymous as well. So that made it worse because I was sort of going, well, who, who would say that? And um, I couldn't sort of make sense of it. And it had nothing to do with me. It was completely something unrelated. Um, but yeah, I think it's tricky. What we're tending to do is we've got a lot of neurodivergent people and, you know, lots of people with, uh, lots of autistic people will suffer with, will have RSD, ADHD, you know, people with dyslexia, people with mental health conditions. Um it's a really common thing. It's just people don't know the name of it. Um, and we yeah. see a lot of, I think this goes hand in hand with people potentially being misdiagnosed as bipolar or emotionally unstable personality disorder, which is the one yeah. that people love at the minute. We see a lot of people with EUPD who actually, when we do our assessment, we probably think they're ADHD and they've their, their mood swings and emotional uh regulation difficulties um is the emotionally unstable personality disorder um so i think it's it's just understanding it i think the more i understand it i just try and reason with myself a little bit and go calm down you know it's fine it works sometimes on a good day sometimes it doesn't and i just need to go and chill and then go in the bath and i'll sit in the bath for two hours and sort of like or I'll watch YouTube or one of my special interests. I'll do something that just doesn't require any thinking. Um, yeah. Just chill out. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm quite, I, I can resonate with a lot of that because obviously I've been RSD. Um, yeah, I think it's just a, it's a sudden outburst of an emotion, isn't it? And like I say, it often doesn't last that long. Mm. Uh, and it can just seem like you're just snapping, but it's just you feel it intensely. So therefore, you you don't know. You just do it. You just react to it. And and I think the thing that's hard is that you don't always know what's caused it. I, I don't know if that, that's the same with you, but sometimes I can just be moody, and and yeah. I can yeah. be nasty, not not nasty in like an abusive way, but I can just be really sharp, and I can I'm very good with words. So I can be quite vicious, you know, not in a horrible way all the time, but I can just be really snappy. Like with my children, if my children are annoying me, you know, I'll be like, once, you know, I just, and I, and I don't always know why. And it's usually because I'm overwhelmed and I don't know I'm overwhelmed. And that's when my wife now has to go, go upstairs and have a bath and or do what you, go and calm down. And then it goes and it's fine. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot more, a lot more things I could ask. Um, but I, I suppose one of the last ones I'll ask is just about your work. Well, 
Well, well, two things really. Is anything you particularly want to talk about or mention? And is there anything in terms of your work that you think is relevant to, to bring up? Oh, uh, oh, you don't. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I mean, in just, I think in, I think a lot of people watching this will either have had a diagnosis, but I think the challenges of NHS services around the country. Um, mean that we you see a lot more people who are self-diagnosed because access to a diagnostic pathway is ridiculously long and, I, and I'm really passionate about that. I really don't think that you would wait four or five years, potentially six years for any other no. condition at all. Um, and, and in lots of places, they're very separate in terms of neurodevelopmental pathways. So you have an autism pathway and then you know, from your autism assessment, they say, yes, you're autistic or no, you're not, but we think you might have ADHD and okay, now let's join another list for three years while we wait for that. Um, so I think gradually a lot of NHS services are combining, um, tend to be more children than adults. Um, so I guess for a lot of people who'll be watching this, I think might be interested in um, my role in terms of, I guess, what we're doing. So and um, like I said, I work for the OWL Centre and, and we've got sort of different sectors. So it was a, a historically a private speech and language therapy service and has grown and grown very, very quickly. So we have sort of four sectors. We have an autism service, ADHD, which I see oversee um, mental health and wellbeing and allied health. So things like speech therapy, occupational therapy, physiosensory. Um, but a big part of our job now is we work for lots and lots of NHS trusts all around the UK. Um, so it means that they're funding essentially to bring down the waiting list. So one of the NHS services we've been working with for a couple of years had a, the waiting list for adult ADHD was four and a half years. Um, and we've been working and working away at it. And we've got a, a, a big workforce um, and a lot of it is done remotely, which means people can have assessments on the weekends or in the evenings, which suits people. You know, they're at home, they're not having to travel. Um, but that's now come down to about four to five months. Um, so I guess for the sort of people who are watching this who haven't got a diagnosis, it's something to, to ask about in terms of things like right to choose, which means you can go to a pri private provider. We don't offer right to choose at the minute because I'm, uh, I want the quality to be there rather than money and greed in all fairness. I want to make sure that we're doing a good assessment and not, uh, you know, not taking money unnecessarily really, I guess. Um, but that's something to point out that a lot of services are looking at ways now it, it's sort of on the national agenda of it's not acceptable to wait that long um so there's there's lots of changes come in so i guess that's probably a bit more about my work and, and sort of what we do and we do have a private sector as well we have private patients um but again that's sort of quite different now to what it was i think because of my experience going through a private provider and knowing what I would want to change and what I didn't think worked well enough. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy if people have got any questions, I'm on LinkedIn or, you know, 
they can get in touch with me if they've got any questions. I'm more than happy to. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yes, thanks for sharing that. Um, yes, I think um, we've covered quite a lot. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we could talk for an hour, obviously, but... Um, um, yeah, no, um, thanks for being being on the show. Um, and hopefully everyone listening's picked up a lot that I'm sure they will have done when, when they're listening to it. So, yeah, thanks uh, for being a guest. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks everyone for listening.